Welcome back to another episode of A Positive Insights. Brendan and myself were joined by Martin Richardson from Ready, Set, Recruit. And today we talked about the importance of legals within a recruitment business. What were your thoughts, Brendan? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I I really enjoyed it, especially how Martin said you can use your legals to use as a negotiation tactic. So there's a bit of part on the podcast around that. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the part about the negotiation. Um, Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, Please like, please share. We're trying to grow the podcast. Much appreciated. Thanks. So welcome back to another episode of A Positive Insights. We've got the pleasure of being joined by Martin Richardson from Ready, Set, Recruit. Martin, do you want to share a little background of yourself and how long you've been in recruitment? Yep. Well, not in recruitment, am I? But supporting <laughs> All right. All right. I've, I've got it wrong, but that's fine. Um, no, often get, people get it wrong because of the business name. Recently. Yeah, I know. Legal I know. People think I'm a legal recruiter, which is Is fine. that my fault? <laughs> uh, true, true. Uh, too clever for my own good with the branding. Uh, so... Uh, Ready, Set, Recruit and Legal has been running for about five years. Uh, so I've been out of my own since leaving corporates uh, about seven years. And then um, this became a bit of a niche opportunity for me. And yeah. so more recruiters started calling me because I had a background running the legal team at ADECO, which everyone knows because everyone hears about it. But uh, I was there nearly four years running the legal team as general counsel. Yeah. Uh, so the head of legal Australia New Zealand. So that was my entree into recruitment. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, I had another job in between that. but. Once I started going out of my own old contacts and people through a deco started calling and you know, it just sort of grew from there and then yeah, I realised it was a bit of an opportunity. What have you learned from working with a deco to then going out on your own? Like, what's the key differences? Uh, well, the key differences is like anyone working on their own, right? You're the IT department, you're the HR department, you're the uh, legal department. Uh, yeah. You know, so there is that. Uh, I, I think from a and it ties into why I've done what I've done mm. is. At a deco in those large organisations, those large agencies, they have legal teams, they have finance teams, they have workers' compensation mm. teams, they have HR teams, they have all these teams that support the desk, mm. and and that's great. And I say that you know, recruiters, there's a reason that these agencies have large legal teams. It's not because they're always in trouble. It's because there's a constant need to be dealing with contracts and dealing with legal issues, you know, proactively, not just reactively. Mm-hmm. And and then I look at the market, the agency market, and I thought, well. There isn't anyone offering that kind of level of support with that, you know, that uh, in-house, more commercial business-oriented view of the law and how it applies to recruitment. It's such a fast-moving industry, and people need answers, and they want answers because clients are demanding it. You can't sit back and pontificate on your advice, and and you know, I've got to, I'll be honest, a lot of lawyers struggle with that, yeah, and that's fine. I still struggle with that, but because I've been trained in twelve years, not just a deco, in that kind of fast-moving legal solutions based advice now I think that's why people enjoy it and that's why recruiters uh, or that's what I see that recruiters need and needed that's why I did basically. yeah no definitely it was definitely needed like we speak to many startups and obviously recruitment businesses yep. that don't spend time yep. or invest in their terms yep. or invest in their legal side of the yep. business so it would be yeah interesting to get your thoughts on, on, on why people should do that yeah yeah so and you're going to laugh at this because I can guarantee when I have a, a conversation with a a new an agency for the first time. Yeah, you know they're in their first three to five years. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah, of course. And they always <laughs> apologise to me for having borrowed legal terms and cut and paste terms. Every conversation, I think it's 100% strike rate. 
So there is this idea of I'll start my agency and I'll invest, and rightly, I don't have an issue with it. I'll invest my money, my limited budget, mm. in my marketing, my website, or you know, whatever it is, a, mm. a lease, or you know, take a, a share space or something. And the legals are, oh yeah, we use them in my where I'm from. I'll just take them with me. Uh, so that that is ingrained in the industry. I don't know what it's like in other industries, but it's certainly ingrained, as you know, in recruitment. And it serves people fine, right? Uh, perm recruitment serves them fine. So I think the reason they're not invested in is because maybe there isn't also an emphasis on them through the industry. So if you if you've grown up in a grown up, you know, from a career perspective in someone else's agency and you step out on your own, if there hasn't been an emphasis on it, that's what you've learned. We always do what we've always done. And so I think that's the first thing. There hasn't been an emphasis. And recruiters are optimistic people, right? Which is great. That's why I love working with them. But with optimism comes blind spots. When things don't go wrong, you just assume that the way it's always been is the way it's always going to be, and that things won't go wrong. So the legals just don't get that focus because nothing's gone wrong. Yeah. But back to my point of the large agencies, when you're in a large agency, to use that example, you're a desk level, something goes wrong, it gets handballed to the legal team, to the finance team, to the workers' comp, whatever the issue is, it gets handballed and someone else deals with it. So for those large agency recruiters, they don't actually get involved in any of that. They don't have to necessarily so that can create that yeah. underinvestment because you just don't see these things that are required yeah and more importantly uh, when it does get handboarded to the legal team they probably don't get their commission check cut either you know they've already been paid for the deal mm. and it's up to the large agency to support that yeah yeah possibly so have you seen any good story or do you have any sort of good examples of someone borrowing their terms from their previous company and then coming back to bite them on the bum? Yeah, yeah. I won't use any specific examples. Yeah, yeah, okay. because I, and I don't have to because yeah. there's a general thing. Yeah. Talk about perm. We'll talk about perm yeah. recruitment. It's the unpaid fee. Yeah. And then it's the terms which don't support the fact that the a fee was due. Uh, and there's a lack of process that sits behind the terms that actually reinforces what the terms say. Terms are unsigned, terms are delivered on an email, terms aren't delivered at all. Fees are still being negotiated when the placement, when the candidates mm. have been introduced. So that's a common thing around fee disputes, uh, which is the you know, predominant issue in perm recruitment. On the contracting staffing side, uh, you will see uh, the risk profile. So uh, the common trip up will be particularly around client contracts, which I know you want to touch on, but it's where the terms just don't delineate between what the agency does and what the temp does. And I say that all the time. What you do as an agency is not what your temp contractor, whatever you want to call them, does for the client. Mm. That's the that's the trip up. Uh, and and it, it brings in insurance, it brings in that risk profile. So I don't know if that answers the question. But that's where I see where terms are just brought in and yep. the extension of that is perm terms, perm recruiter, set up an agency, Client says, "Hey, don't need perm. I want. Can you do this, contractors? We know this is how these businesses evolve off in the contractor book, and they use the same terms, using perm terms. Yeah, yeah we see all the time. Yeah, we see all the time. They might just have their perm terms. They might provide a schedule yeah. of what the rates what are the for rates a contract role. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we also see all the time, like with perm roles, people just flicking their CV yeah. and saying that you know yeah. by accepting the CV yeah. that, yeah. but you could receive that CV from many recruiters. Yeah. So who received it first? I just yeah, I just honestly don't see how that works no. yeah uh, it's a good point I think um, you know you see those words in every terms of business in terms of business I put together I always put these words in there if you don't sign these but you interview mm-hmm. accept a CV um, accept someone on assignment these terms are binding mm. and I always say that those words aren't going to save you 
from contract 101, which is offer and acceptance to get into the legal stuff, which yeah. is someone has to have received your terms. Mm -hmm. Someone has have to have been given really a reasonable opportunity to consider them mm -hmm. because they'll argue that they, the terms were never binding. So these statements on CDs, now you might you might tick a box when you're, on, you're creating a, a $10 a month subscription in your personal capacity that says you accept these terms and conditions. That's fine. But do you really want to have to have that argument with a client over a $30,000 perm fee where the terms apply? Which is what happens. Absolutely because clients not. have the money in their pocket, right? Yeah. They just say, I'm not paying you. Yeah. Probably end up burning the relationship then. Um, yeah. So just going into that disclaimer a little bit more, I have seen where they'll have a link to their terms yep. in the disclaimer. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you're saying even if they don't click it, then there's no proof that they've actually accepted it? Or yeah, yeah. in a way. I guess the way I would put it, which is always, again, what I say, I have these little catchphrases you'll see. Uh, if it isn't in writing, assume it didn't happen. So I've had plenty of recruiters come to me and, and have, and they, they want to know if they should, you know, there's cost, do I, is it worth me pursuing this fee? Right? That's generally mm -hmm. the conversation. And they might have a really good case that they explain to me, but if they don't have any paperwork to back that up, that, that, sh that documents it, whether it's even a conversation documented on the CRM, but whether it's a confirmation document that confirms the terms for that particular assignment, because the terms might have been signed three years ago by someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, clients generally have the same excuses, and that's one of them. That person no longer works here, uh, who signed your terms. So if there isn't an audit trail of evidence, you can have the best case in the world, but if you, if you have to go into court and you have to prove it via, you know, your word versus their word, mm. it just becomes difficult and costly. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't mean you don't have a great case, but that's just the way it is. You know, litigation, you know, trying to prove a debt, trying to, trying to win a dispute, 95% turns on the facts, 5% turns on the law. It's just yeah. the way it is. And you're in lower courts. It's exactly what happens. So if you don't have the evidence and the client's got the money in the pocket, you're the one fighting mm -hmm. with a lack of concrete evidence to get your money. Yeah, which is interesting because you know recruiters that don't want to invest in their terms at the start, it's not going to cost them that much money. Mm. It's going to cost them far less mm. than actually taking someone to court yeah. to try and far get less. payment. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it just makes sense to be prepared yeah. And, yeah. and actually invest in their terms. Yeah. One of the things that we focus on is enforceable debt. Yeah. So you're talking about that sort yeah. of payment trail. Yeah. So mm. yeah. very important that we help people set up the right process. So you've got yeah. an online timesheet, yeah. it's been approved yeah. before we make payment for payroll and yeah. before we obviously raise the invoice. Yep. So that's a really good process for contract recruitment. We also look at the terms of business yep. that they do cover contracts. Yep. Um, would you have any advice around people putting in a really good process yep. um, and how their terms can back up enforceable debt? Yeah, absolutely. No, because all the, the coming back to you know, your, your example of the CV or the yep. tick the box or whatever those statements, they're all part of that process. Yeah. But they're not, they don't, they can't exist in isolation if you want a good approval or enforceable debt. So from a process point of view, yeah, it starts with your terms. Mm. I always talk about context, content, capability, right? So we talk about context, what I mean by that is what is your business? Mm -hmm. So that's our first question, right? Are we running temps? Okay, fine. And what do our terms say about that? So that's our starting point, isn't it? So we need clear legal documentation that's an enforceable contract. We start there. And then as I said, most, you know, talked about that three-year gap. Well, that's because most terms of business are what we call an umbrella or a master terms. Signed once and then you know, and then forgotten. And then forgotten, right? And a client might brief on one job and you never hear from them again, that's fine. Or you might start to, to work with a client or they come back to you after 12 months for the second job and no one goes back to the terms. They ring up and say, hey, we're, we want, you know, we're filling this role. The recruiter goes, great, in the perm space. And off they go. And no one's referred back to the terms. No one's confirmed the terms of the actual job. So I think of it as a statement of work, you know, yeah. that's common in mm -hmm. recruitment. So mm -hmm. if you use that, what, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a job order under terms. So you sign the terms, 
And then every time you're engaged, it's a request for services, you confirm that in writing. You're asking us to fill this role, this is a salary band, therefore based on our terms, this is the estimated fee. If we're going on a percentage basis, salary band 100 to 150, you've given us, then your fee would be 15% to 18%, which equals bang. Um, these are our payment terms, this is the terms of the replacement. Like your key terms, you'd reinforce that, like a job order. Mm. And then you fill the role, and then you confirm that you filled the role. It's a piece of paper or an email that says, we've, conf we've confirmed we've filled the role, this is a start date, this is when we're going to invoice, this is our payment terms, this is the fee. Mm. Bang, we confirm that. And then all along the way, we have CV statements. Uh, you know, on our CVs, our little statements are refer back to our terms. Everything refers back to everything ties, ties back. back. Yeah. It's an ecosystem of um, ecosystem of paperwork. And I don't want to overcomplicate it. We're not talking about long documents. You're talking about an email that confirms. If a client's asked you to do something, confirm it. Don't do it until you've confirmed it. Because if it does come back to bite you, mm. then it's going to be your word against theirs. That's interesting. <clears throat> Reminds me of a story. I used to work for this large agency in London where I was recruiting for Lloyd's Banking Group, yep. a perm role. Uh, so basically went through the whole process, so forth like that, got to the placement, said, right, want to charge, where are the terms? Legal gave me HBOS as terms, so Halifax Bank of Scotland, which were dated pre-merger <laughs> pre of the GFC. Yep. And the, the rate was... Pathetic, because yep. it was it was scaled for working in the north of the UK, uh, you know, around now. So I said, right, I'm going to charge full terms. Yep. Basically, the relationship manager came in and said, nope, you're not doing that. We don't want to rock the boat. Yep. And I'm like, but if we do full terms, then not only are we making more money for us, but then everyone else that's working roles right now. Yeah, we'll make more money. Make more money, right? And you can re redo it. But no, they didn't want to rock the boat, and yep. away they go. They just wanted to keep the client happy even yep. though they had no signed terms yep. and they were just working off old ones. Yeah, and, and that again is a nice segue because to come back to this yep. whole, you know, um, you know, creating this paper trail, what I encourage my clients to do when I create terms is I have, you know, the front schedule. It's not rocket science, right? Yep. Not revolutionary, but <laughs> key terms are on there. So you have your rates, then you might have your payment terms, you have your replacement period, and you might have a couple other things like conversion fees if that's what you're using or credits on replacements. Whatever are things that are moving pieces because what agencies do is they'll negotiate fees and I'm being generalist here, this is a general OC and again, it's not just agencies, other businesses will do this but it's a predominant thing in, in recruitment land where, again, we're talking about perm but also the contracting space. The clients, they're focused on fees. We get a deal done on fees and then we'll send our terms if that's happening. Hmm. And the terms will have the same payment terms that are your rack rate payment terms, your rack rate replacement period, your rack rate everything. Now, if you haven't, you can use them to negotiate and you should be using them to negotiate. If a client's gonna push you on a fee, then you push back on the replacement period. And that having that mechanism or that process then not forces you, but then brings that kind of negotiation mindset mm. to the agency. Hey, client wants to negotiate on fees. We're not just gonna issue terms mm. that, that provide all these concessions that we provide to a client who pays our full fee. We're gonna negotiate our way through three or four of them at the time, and that then gets into that negotiation mindset, and, and then your terms are better. I think, I think a lot of recruiters are scared of negotiating, yeah, right? Yep, yep. They're scared of losing the, yep. you know, the opportunity. One of the things we always see is yep. they agree a fee on seven days, yep. and then suddenly the client wants 60 days, yep. and they yep. don't increase their fee. Yeah. but they are scared to push back on that yeah. and it's going to cost them like obviously we provide funding yeah. so you know the longer yeah. it takes to get paid like the more people are going to pay but they are scared to have that negotiation and that conversation yeah, yeah, and I do you know, 
do negotiation training. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah, do. oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I've done a bit of that. And I'm doing more of it, and probably going to be taking more of that because I yeah. enjoy it. But negotiation principles are based. You know, negotiation is fear. Yeah, honest, that's people fear negotiation. Everything. When you're negotiating for a house, you're negotiating for a car. When there's an emotional attachment to something, yeah. which there generally is in, in negotiation, of course we fear it. My advice to agencies is that you, if you invest in your negotiation, we, they invest in so much in L and D. I get that, but sales training isn't negotiation training. And the key, if I was to give one tip to uh, an agency thinking about this and trying to work out how do I influence at a desk level because it's hard for agency owners and managers right because yeah, of course. your weakest link is a desk level and I, I mean that I don't mean that in a bad way I just yeah. mean that in the fact that you know as you're growing your agency which is great mm. you, you have more people and you have more opportunities for things to go wrong uh, and the negotiation piece the tip is preparation because and there's research around this that most people aren't prepared like most people win negotiations. Like the percentages are high, well over 50, 60% people walk into negotiation unprepared. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that, that means they're unprepared as well. So if you're prepared, you're already ahead of the person you're dealing with because they're not prepared and they may be making the same the assumptions that people always do in negotiations. The deal's gonna go the way it always done, mm -hmm. it always has. I've, I've, deal, I've done deals with five other agencies, so this, this deal's gonna go the same way, mm -hmm. right? So they're coming in with that mindset they're not prepared, they just expect they're gonna whack you on fees. You come in and you say, that's fine, but you're prepared and you've got that context and that content mm -hmm. and that capability, those mm. three C's, that capability means that negotiation capability. Just half an hour prep. What are the assumptions we're making around this client? What are the assumptions we're making around this role? What what uh, what do we need to do if they push us on fees? What are we prepared to go to? Mm. What are our payment term parameters? What are our replacement parameters? Half an hour. Mm. It's really not much time, is it? And even, even if that. Don't don't do the deal on the spot if you're not comfortable. Yeah, yeah. That's you wouldn't. You know, I hope people don't buy a house or a, you know. Often you want to walk away from a deal yeah. to make sure it's the right deal to put a bit of space in between it. Being assertive is not being difficult to do business with. No, yeah. definitely not. But I get the fear. We all face it, and I'm not. I'm not perfect in this space. You know, if I've got an emotional attachment, of course we fear these things. But when I look back on my own experience, it's because I wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. So basically, we want to bring it back to the terms in terms of people getting creative. Um, so what what we do see is you see some customers that might say, in their terms of business, we'll supply labour hire, we'll do GPS tracking of the person on site, we won't accept this online assigned timesheet. That GPS tracking is proof that we've delivered the service of yep. the labour hire. Yep. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, uh, question without notice I think but uh, <laughs> yeah, look it's interesting I mean just um, <laughs> again though right it's again it's technology yeah. Yeah. but it's creating an audit trail yeah so I don't have an issue with it as long as it's, as long as it's agreed by both yeah. parties and as long as there are an ability to prove that yeah. uh, there's nothing to say you have to we, we've done from signed timesheets didn't we on yeah. the spot uh, to electronic timesheets so what what's the difference to move on to a system but you want that agreed yeah. and you want it very clear and I think as you introduce technology and we'll get onto the thumb emoji but I think as yeah. you introduce technology you, it gets complicated because there's a new set of rules you know potentially now we're not timesheets now we're, we're attaching a GPS tracking to a timesheet yeah. so that's a different it's a different set of parameters around what proves a timesheet but like any contract if it's if it's agreed and it's certain yeah then why not yeah, fair enough. Well, that brings into the technology space. And uh, recently there was a court ruling in Canada mm. where uh, acceptance of contract was done by a thumb emoji. Yep. Now, I know a lot of uh, Gen Zs will hate that because uh, yeah. <laughs> it's passive aggressive. <laughs> but for millennials like ourselves yeah. and Gen Xs, you know. Is it really passive aggressive? 
I think yeah, so. Gen no. Z, really, apparently. Oh, no, I use it all the time. Yeah, but for millennials. But for, you know, for our generation, obviously it means, okay, let's yeah. go, you know, yeah. all good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so again, you know, using technology to, to get confirmation when yeah. it's not written word or signed. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting development. And I think we haven't had a case like that here in Australia, but it creates, and we don't follow Canadian law, and of course mm. don't have to, but it does create. It, no doubt if it came up, that case will be referred to. Uh, and that was, it was an agricultural case. I think it was an ongoing relationship for the supply mm. of certain goods. And so they'd, they'd had, you know, do you want, they'd, they'd done deals basically over text yeah. uh, around supply and um, do you want this supply, um, you know, are you happy with this deal basically, 92 grand or whatever, and it came back as a thumbs up. And so that was, uh, and then there was a dispute over the, the um, supply and the purchase of the goods. So then it came up in court whether that was an acceptance of that mini contract. We talk about the, yeah. the contract, um, the contract can be oral. It's incredible. Writing. It is incredible. And the argument was, just acknowledging the thumbs up from the person who didn't want to pay. You know, the the argument was it was just acknowledging that the text. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a contract, and the and the argument that was that the court agreed to was no, that was acceptance. You accepted the deal. At, I think it was ninety two thousand. Yeah. And he's paid it in full. Mm, well, we did a court order. Yeah, and probably legal costs as well. Wow. Yeah, probably. Uh, oh. So yeah, <laughs> um, so clearly it wasn't a Gen Z. Um, uh, <laughs> that's the expensive thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's a, there's a, Canada has some great cases. There's a comma case too, which cost a telecommunications company. This is a few years old now. It was a, a comma in the wrong spot. It was around a termination of contract, and uh, the court ruled that because where the comma landed, the the contract uh, hadn't been terminated properly. It's like seven hundred thousand Canadian dollars because it was around whether they had a termination for convenience, but we're one comma, it's the comma case. So oh yeah, it's, anyway, that's yeah. that, that's sidetracked, but that's where lawyers, you know, can annoy that's business people. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's yeah. it, 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 if you if you struggle out a comma out, mm. then you get into terms which don't even deal with things, or terms that aren't signed, or terms that haven't been delivered, all those examples I gave before, you can see why it really matters mm. when you get down to the, to the, the provability of your case or not, it really matters just having the basics right. Yeah, absolutely. So it would have been interesting if someone took that text, put it into chat GBT, mm-hmm. asked it to proofread it, yeah, and right, yeah. obviously correct the grammar. Yeah. Have you have you come across anyone using chat GBT to write terms? Yeah. Is it a good thing? Is it no. a bad thing? <laughs> yeah. It's not good. I'm no, not no, I've, had, I've had a couple of examples sent to me, um, if I could check them. Yeah. In, 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 you know, the camera's on so people can see the air quotes. Check them. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and the content's fine, right? Ask, you ask an artificial intelligence platform to write something, it'll write something. Yeah. But it's not going to be, it's not going to, you don't even know what jurisdiction it's written for. Mm. You know, it's not like it's Australianized. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't. You wouldn't I recommend it. I mean, yeah, I struggle with templates as a mm. rule, and when people, you know, I get that call all the time. Can you, can I get a template off you? I say, well, I don't really deal in templates in my day to day because it's not going to serve your purpose. There has to be some input around mm. what your business does. Yeah. Um, because templates won't save you. They just they, if they don't reflect the nuance, and that's why I talk about that context. Mm-hmm. If they don't reflect what you actually do. Uh, you know, you think about the different niches within the niche of recruitment. I always think of medical right? medical recruitment is completely different to anything, and then you've got legal recruitment in a, you know in a perm context, uh, and medical in more in the locum, the other staffing mm. context. They're completely different requirements in a set of terms. Completely different, mm. uh, different industries, different client demands, and just different risks. So if you're using a generic template, let alone Chat GPT, you might feel good, but you won't feel good when it goes wrong. Yeah. No, definitely not. Like I've seen people. Yeah. 
ask ChatGPT about legislation. Yeah. It's just... That's crazy. <laughs> there was, I was running a case the other day where some lawyers in the States put their defence, they, they got ChatGPT to write their defence, and Brilliant. they filed it in court. Oh, and, I saw that too. all the citations, all the cases were fake. Yes. Like ChatGPT just oh, made geez. it up, like Jones versus Smith, right? <gasps> they were all fake. He got, he got hammered for it too. Got, oh yeah, they got fined. They, they got fined. Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I remember. Wait for the professional negligence claim. Bloody Americans, man. Unbelievable. Like, I'm gonna, I'll charge the client 10 grand for filing a defence. But I've got yeah. ChatGPT to write it. i to write it and yeah. all the citations were fake. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So it just made it up. That's <laughs> insane. It's insane, isn't it? It is insane. Yeah. I use it, I've used it a couple of times. I don't use it much, yeah. but it's yeah. interesting. I, came, I was thinking about this. I came across a privacy policy just yeah. thinking about AI. And it, you know, it's like haze actually, and I haven't really thought about it. But you know, you kind of the amount of personal information, and proprietary and confidential information that people are putting into ChatGPT. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, this case, right? They filed a defence on behalf of clients in the states. They would have put all the client information into ChatGPT. That's out there now. I suppose uh, talking about ChatGPT and yeah, you know, the forever changing legislation. I've got well, I know people, and obviously we're not going to name no, name no names. Um, but use ChatGPT to check up-to-date legislation. Mm. Like, the importance, like, how can people yep. actually stay up to legislation without using ChatGPT? Yeah, well, the way they used to do it, <laughs> uh, I guess. Uh, there's plenty of free stuff. Now, if you think about recruitment, um, yeah, so I just got sidetracked about how we used to unlock cars, right, and how we used to um, meet people. You know, there, there was always something happened before something arrived. I know. So, you know, it, it, it's employment law for in the... You know, if we're in the recruitment game, of course, we're dealing with employment law in the staffing space. We're dealing with privacy. Increasingly, we're dealing with uh, workers' compensation and safety, right? Safety, uh, the big ones, and then you've got contract law. But if you're if you're looking for those resources, the questions you get, you get the answers in the same places. There's so much free, so many free resources out there mm-hmm. for small, medium businesses. Fair Work. Yep. You know, Fair Work have hotlines that you can call. They've got plenty of resources online. Every state safety uh, regulator, uh, labour high licensing, which is in Victoria attached to the safety. They have plenty of free resources online. Uh, there's plenty of stuff you can sign up to, like you sign up to a newsletter for anything. There's plenty mm. of subscription services you can get. Shortlist is a great one. I know it's a paid service, but yeah. uh, Shortlist is great. But you can set up Google Alerts. Mm. Uh, there's plenty of ways you can do it, or you can have a relationship with someone that can, you know, that can give you the advice. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't rely. Uh, it, it, you wouldn't rely on something that isn't Australian centric and uh, isn't going to uh, necessarily understand the nuance of your question, mm. shall we say, yeah. again, the context of your business. Uh, I think humans struggle to understand staffing. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I think yesterday um, I was talking to and talking through this particular client contract space. It's such a unique business model. I wouldn't say it's complicated, but it's complex. It's unique because generally we think about staffing or say suppliers mm. being your consultant, and you provide a service. Uh, we talked about that before. What the agency does is not what the, the contract or attempt does. So it's a it's a complicated model, and hu- and it's it, humans struggle with it. Clients struggle to understand it until it's explained to them, which kind of ties in the whole theme of this understanding your business and being able to explain it will give you the confidence because you're prepared to negotiate better outcomes. Uh, so if humans struggle with it, how are you going to explain that to a machine? Mm. Don't think we're there yet. No, right. definitely not. I think. Uh, j- just going back to terms and tying stuff in, I know we talked about this in the past, um, but how important is it to tie in your terms with like your outsource providers? 
is that something you can cover? Like, is it important to tie in payroll outsource terms uh, gotcha. to your terms? Yeah, yeah. So if you think about your your service, yeah, like like positive and um, yeah. you know others in the market, which I know they're all slightly different. Yeah. Um, which adds a layer of complexity, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Which I also say, you know, when because you know it's a growing industry, and so I have this conversation a lot. Uh, and you know, as we know, I'm completely independent of all of that but I have enough to say I've seen enough of the models in your in your space they're all different mm. so yeah you need to understand that uh, and I talk about just you need to understand what's going on in your business so you have to tie it in because uh, you know if we use APOS as, as an example if I may yeah, you, know, you think about your full outsource model mm. yeah. uh, then the way you do that is com- is different I won't say completely different it's different to how others do it but if, at the end of the day, if I'm selling a service into a client as an agency, I still need to know what's happening because it's in my supply chain. So, and if I'm signing an MSA with a positive or with someone else, then I need to understand what obligations are being pushed on me through that MSA because I then need to put that in my own terms to back to back that with the client. Mm. Uh, and you know, this, this assumption of handing off part of your business to a provider and not knowing what, how that provider is, is dealing with those mm-hmm. resources, your temps, your contractors. It's just, a, to me, it's a recipe for reputational damage. Yeah. Um, because if something goes wrong, uh, if there's an employment claim, a discrimination claim, there's a safety issue, that's a recipe for reputational and legal damage because you don't actually understand what's happening in your business, which is a key plank of your business. Uh, you know, I always talk about outsource the job, don't outsource the knowledge. So I'm not a mechanic. I can take my car to mechanic and I can ask the mechanic enough questions to understand what the mechanic's gonna to do to my car. I can go to a GP and I can ask enough questions to understand what it is. I'm not a GP and that's why I use a GP. Mm-hmm. That's why I use a mechanic, that's why we all do. But I still understand that the job's being done, but I still understand what job, mm-hmm. you know, I have context around that job. So that's my example of you know, my, my clients aren't lawyers and I insist that they understand mm-hmm. what I'm telling them. Because yeah. they don't understand that I haven't done my job. Don't outsource the job to me if you don't understand what it is that I'm doing and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So with, that makes with, sense. So with your providers, your accountant, your lawyer, your payroll provider, your insurer. Well, there's another classic example of people not knowing the questions to ask their insurer or their broker mm-hmm. to understand what their insurance coverage is. I need insurance, I'll get insurance. Job's done. Yeah. Then something goes wrong and I'm not insured. Yeah, especially through the websites and so forth where you just get your small business insurance. Yep, yep. A lot of them aren't protected for yeah big claims or anything like for that. A, for a complex, unique yeah. business model. Yeah. Well, they don't even cover on hired half the time. No. They no. just get business no. insurance. just covers internal employees, not on hired employees. Yep. It's just an example. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, that's interesting. So recommend outsourcing, but you just need to understand yeah. how you work together and yeah. what services are provided. And it, would you actually put that in the terms to your customers to say that you're going to assign part of your you know back office or yeah. so forth so yep. that the so your customers understand what's going on as well i would always encourage that yeah because again it's reputational yeah uh, so it doesn't have to be long and complicated we use mm. a third party provi- payroll provider to provide these services to ensure we can provide an efficient and effective service that remains compliant with the law right there's a there's a clause right there yeah clients read that and go they, they're curious about it and then you've got a story to tell well yeah we're using a positive mm. oh who are they tell me about it there's these guys what why yeah. Oh, because bang, 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 and that'll that'll be a good story because you you're selling a story to the client instead of hiding something. Then it, when it does come out, invariably if something goes wrong, if it comes out, that's a different conversation. Who are these guys? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's interesting because people would be scared to put that in the terms. But yeah. it can yeah. easily be flipped to a positive. Yeah. I really can. Everything you can be flipped. Yeah, 
you're good at recruitment, yep. but you're not necessarily good at law, yep. or you're not good at yep. payroll. Yep. So yep. having someone that you know that you partner with and being transparent with that is is a good thing. I, yeah, and I can give you a number of examples where clients have, will say to me, this, their terms, and or they're they're more confident because they've gone through a process with me, by the way, yeah. <laughs> understanding things, and then they can explain that to clients, and clients love it because they're transparent. Who doesn't like people who can explain their business to them? Because they're not recruiters, they're not legal experts. This is the other thing I always say to agencies, you're, you're recruiters, you're, you're nervous and you're fear, fearful because you're not a lawyer. Hmm. Well, guess what, neither are they. You don't, neither, no one has to be a lawyer. You just have to understand what's in your terms <laughs> yeah. and be able to explain that to the client. And the client's gonna go, gee, no one's ever explained that to me before. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah, because agency, agencies don't. So uh, there's enough on this, hopefully watching this podcast to still be going, not enough that everyone gets the message. We hope yeah. everyone does, but ultimately, we're about creating competitive advantage, you guys and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can get to enough recruiters, they'll stand. You stand out if you yeah. can be, if you can articulate things. Sadly, but yeah, yeah, good. no, it's true. Like you provided a lot of advice today. Yeah. Um, the podcast is aimed to give people as much advice as possible. What's the one bit of advice, just to finish off, that you'd give to recruiters now? The um, one piece of advice. I, I come back to that negotiation thing. To me, you know, I talked about. Well, I'm going to talk about the context content capability because that that is the advice understand your business get your legal documents and your processes right but then make sure that you've got you, f- you feed that through your agency that the capability at a desk level up because no matter how much you think you know and how much you invest as a manager and owner that all gets lost in translation really quickly you can spend thousands on legal documents you can spend thousands on outsourcing the job mm. but if you don't invest in the knowledge piece it's all for naught yeah amazing thanks excellent. so much martin yeah thank appreciate you appreciate your time today that was excellent okay cheers mate <laughs>